Matthew chapter 14. In perfectly perfect, uh, a jazz concert in Germany and a boat in Galilee. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. The other side, meaning they're on one side of the Galilee, and boom, they're going on to the other side of the Galilee. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen? So, pretty uh, popular story. I think a lot of us know this story, have heard this story, have heard teachings on this story. Um, and um, I am taking a little bit of a break from the, uh, the traditional uh, uh, rediscovering Jesus sermon series, because I just really believe that the Lord was on this. And part of it, to be quite honest, is because of the uniqueness of the time that we're in. And also because of the uh, increased numbers of, of guests and visitors who have been here, where I just really felt the Lord was just calling us and calling me to cast a little vision, right? Cast a little vision to explain uh, to newer people and also to remind to older people what we feel the Lord is doing here at Bristol uh, Hope Assembly. And of course, there's teaching involved in that. So it's a little bit of a vision casting kind of a kind of a thing, but not too heavy and not too cheesy. I think it's just really a reminder of how the Lord, I believe, has given us a unique DNA here. Okay? This is a place that's just unique. Uh, it has a unique DNA to it. And so the question that is governing all of this, if you read your bulletin uh, or if you watched or looked on our social media platforms, is this. What does a jazz concert in Germany in 1975 and a Jewish fisherman 2,000 years ago in the Galilee teach us? Okay, that's the question. What does some jazz concert back in 1975 in Germany and then also a Jewish fisherman by the name of Peter 2,000 years ago, what do they have to teach us? And so I'm just going to begin with this. Uh, Peter on the boat here reminds me of jazz music. Anyone here like jazz music? Okay, reminds me of jazz music. And there's a reason and a rationale to this, I hope. Uh, I, love, I love jazz music. I, I really do. Uh, I'm not much of a musician. I could play a little bit of guitar, but I'm not a musician. But I, I love jazz music. And when I say I love jazz music, it's not like that Kenny G elevator stuff that you hear in the dentist office. Like, to me, it's like, what is that? But some people really like it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the jazz that's got like that soul, right? That black and white, like, 1950s TV jazz, okay? Um, because I like it because there's, there's, there's an articulation of passion that's in it. There's actually, musically, there's a lot of risk and a lot of improv that's, that's happening there. Um, it's a free-flow model of music. And I think it's very important for us to get in the church. There's a, it's a free-flow art form. There is an order to it, but there isn't a control. It's good. Okay, you got to get this. This is like Bristol Hope DNA. There is an order to the music, but there is not control. Okay? There is a structure, right? In jazz, there's jazz scales and jazz 
keys and there's everyone on the team that's playing knows where we're going. How we get there is, well, let's see. Come on. Wow. I love it. Now, okay, what's going on? All the different musicians, the drummer, the trumpet, the, the bass, the, all of them, the pianist, they are all independently but also dependently upon each other. They're all playing something and all going, and then at a moment's time, they look over at, the, at, the, at the, the piano, and the piano guy does his solo, and he may jump out of the actual chord progression, go into another place, and then he comes right back, and then the drummer goes, and they're independent, but also dependent. There is a structure, there is an order, but there is not a control. There is a freedom to express in an art form. Okay? Uh, actually, some of the jazz musicians, I forget which one, maybe Zeke remembers who it is, says that democracy, sorry, jazz is democracy in music form. Thank you. And I thought he would know. Democracy. You have people of all different opinions, all different kind of views, with a structure and an order and a goal. But there's a freedom to voice your opinion and a freedom to voice and exercise your giftings. Like I said, I can't explain jazz because I'm not a musician. But that's kind of cool because you can't really explain jazz because that's what jazz is. If you don't believe me, it's like the penultimate jazz musician, Louis Armstrong. If you have to ask what jazz is, you'll never know. You'll never know. But here's the thing for our DNA at Bristol. What a freeing statement. If you don't know what jazz is, you'll never know. What a freeing statement. Independently, independently dependent, I guess would be the appropriate way to say it. We all work together for a goal, but yet we have our independent tasks at hand and a freedom to create and a freedom to innovate. So, that's what I think. I think, and I feel the Lord is speaking to us to be reminded of this, uh, and also to encourage our guests. I, I think this. Like, I, I believe the Lord is reminding us um, that, that the church is supposed to be more like jazz and less like classical genre of music. It's supposed to be more free. There's supposed to be less control. There's supposed to be a structure but also a movement to allow people to exercise their independence within that structure. If I look at the first century, it seems to be that's what was going on. And a lot of people get a little spooked out by that. I get it. It's because you've been inheriting Greco-Roman Christianity for 1,500 years. That's why you're spooked out. But when the scriptures say, encourage people to prophesy, and when the scriptures say, make sure you're doing it in an orderly fashion one by one, I'm assuming that Paul had to give a directive that a lot of people were exercising their giftings. And he wanted to make sure that when so many people are exercising their giftings, that there is order to that. If people were not jumping out of their seat to exercise prophecy and words of knowledge, Paul would not have to give that directive to do everything in order. The fact that that scripture is there is showing that some of the early church, things were a little, a little jazzy. Maybe a little too jazzy, and an apostle had to bring some order to it. You get what I'm saying? And I think the church needs to be reminded of that. Okay? All right. I promise this will make sense. I think it already does. I think. Thanks. I, I, I need to stack you there so I can just look at you. But if it doesn't, drop the mic. All right. Let's, uh, now let's now relate this to what I'm talking about, this, this, this concert that happens in 1975. January 24th, 1975, there is a very, very unique, very, very special jazz concert that takes place in Cologne, or Cologne, Germany. And with that being said, uh, if we can switch over to the desktop and hit play on Song Show, here is a video that I posted on Facebook I want you guys to watch just the first five minutes. It's awesome.
Late in January 1975, a 17-year-old German girl called Vera Brandes walked out onto the stage of the Cologne Opera House. The auditorium was empty. <clears throat> was lit only by the dim green glow of the emergency exit sign. This was the most exciting day of Vera's life. She was the youngest concert promoter in Germany, and she had persuaded the Cologne Opera House to host a late night concert of jazz from the American musician Keith Jarrett. 1,400 people were coming, and in just a few hours, Jarrett would walk out on the same stage He'd sit down at the piano without rehearsal or sheet music. He'd begin to play. But right now, Vera was introducing Keith to the piano in question. And it wasn't going well. Jarrett looked at the instrument a little warily, played a few notes, walked around it, played a few more notes, muttered something to his producer, and the producer came over to Vera and said, if you don't get a new piano, he can't play. They made a mistake. The opera house provided the wrong instrument. This one had this harsh, tinny upper register because all the felt had worn away. The black notes were sticking, the white notes were out of tune, the pedals didn't work, and the piano itself was just too small. It couldn't create the volume that would fill a large space such as the Cologne Opera House. So, keep out. Left. He went and sat outside in his car, leaving Vera Brandis to get on the phone to try to find a replacement piano. And she got a piano to her, but she couldn't get a new piano. And so she went outside and she stood there in the rain, talking to Keith Jarrett, begging him not to cancel the concert. And he looked out of his car at this bedraggled, rain-drenched German teenager, took pity on her, and said, never forget, only for you. And so a few hours later, Jarrett did indeed step out onto the stage of the opera house. He sat down at the unplayable piano and began. That's posted on our uh, Facebook wall if you want to see the rest of it. But I love this. I love this understanding. Let's just think about this. It's, this is 30 years after the ending of World War II and like you're still living in the dust, essentially, of the culture of Nazi Germany. Right? I mean, it's 30 years removed, but there's still a cultural imprint and we have some of those stereotypes, right? Germans in Germany really likes their order and their efficiency. And here is a guy who's coming with jazz music that is like against that. It's all about free flow. And this is one of the first times that like an epic American jazz artist is coming to the nation of Germany to kind of release this kind of newness and freshness of American expressions. 
It's too small of a piano, it's not going to fill out the room. The felt on the hammers or however it may work is worn out, so it's going to sound very tinny. They were able to kind of tune it a bit, but he's completely restricted. And it's like, this is a recipe for disaster, but yet he's like, only for you, because you're a 17-year-old girl crying in the middle of a rainstorm in Köln, Germany. I'll do it. And he does it, and it becomes the number one selling piano album of all time and number one selling jazz solo album of all time. I imagine his bank account was actually pretty happy that he said yes. Like if you get a number one album, like if you're like, hey man, you know Keith Jarrett? Everyone's like, oh yeah, Cole Concert. They don't know any of the other albums. They only know that one. All the others probably like didn't even sell. Like everyone knows that album. I'm glad he said yes. I'm glad he got out of the boat. Let's uh, listen to track one. Let's hit play on Spotify. I just want to Listen to about 30 seconds of the song just to kind of feel what this man was able to produce out of a mess. Come on. Yeah, jack it up a little bit. All from a broken piano. He would never get those tones and those sounds if it was a regular piano. He embraced the mess and, as I said, it soared. Hmm. So let's relate this to the church. I'm glad that Keith Jarrett, because it makes a cool sermon, I'm glad he actually played this imperfect piano because out of this imperfect piano there was a perfection that happened. A beauty that happened that could not be obtained. You see, what happens here is imperfection can actually release a beauty of perfection that you and I did not know existed. But you need to allow yourself to be in that place. See, I want to just emphasize this because I understand with church government and church order is this. People confuse all the time. They confuse the order of the graveyard and the order of the nursery. Both have order. Both have people secluded and in a place of order, right? You know what I mean? The nursery, I mean like the hospital, right? With all the babies are lined up and they're all screaming their heads off. Yeah. It's loud. It's energetic. It's crazy. It's like, that's crazy. No, it's, there's an order there. Babies are safe and the babies are in their position. Now, graveyard, you hear nothing. What's going on here? What's this? Both the graveyard and the nursery have order, but only the graveyard has control. They're dead. There's control. The graveyard extinguishes life, but the nursery is the very substance of life. And we need to get into our kishkas, as they say in German and Yiddish. We need to get inside of us here this notion that things are allowed to be slightly messy. And things are allowed to be imperfect. Because when things are imperfect, there's a creativity and innovation. There's a life that is there. And so we can't, we can't confuse this. We can't... Perfect, right? I love it. Sound of life. Most vocal congregant today. It's awesome. Outside of maybe Jose, right? No, we can't, we, can't, we can't do this, guys. We can't confuse in the church. We can't confuse order with control. They're different. In a corporate setting, they're different, and in your personal life, it's different. There is order, and then there is control. And a lot of people like to put them on top of each other. Okay, let's talk about this. Your personal life. A lot of us have a tendency to be in a controlled environment on ourselves that we create a place and a platform where we're afraid to make a mistake. 
We're looking for perfection in our life. Or you're looking for perfection when you're here at church. Like, I don't know if I can give that word because what if I mess up? I don't know if I can pray. I don't know if I can do tithe and offering. I don't, Dave, Dave has asked me to do this. I don't know if I can do this because I'm not this person, that person. It's like, bro. Got a little bit of control there. That's not order. That's control. Right? So we need to release that in our personal life. We also need to release that control in a corporate setting. And I just want to encourage you with this. Like, at Bristol Hope Assembly, you're hearing it from the pastor's mouth. You are allowed to make a mistake. Within reason, right? I mean, you know, like, if it's, like, really out there, we're like, hey, brother, look. And here's the thing. If you make a mistake and it's off, we have a lot of people here. I don't want to do this, like, make you feel uncomfortable. We have a lot of people here who will know. We have a lot of mature people in ministries and head of power church ministries that'll be like, that was a little off. And don't worry, we're not going to make a skeptical out of you. We'll lovingly come alongside of you and do that. Has anyone ever seen me do that? No. Or maybe someone says, yeah, but. All right, she she just, I guess we know who it was then. No, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to do it publicly, right? We're not going to do it publicly. You're not going to be. Like, made to be like, oh my gosh. Like, we'll lovingly come alongside and say, hey, brother, hey, sister. You know, we just, we need to just kind of corral you a little bit. So, be free. This is a place where you're allowed to make a mistake. You're allowed. In fact, I encourage you to go and make a mistake. Because if you don't go and make mistakes, what's happening? You're not growing. Duh. I remember playing baseball. Like if you didn't, if you didn't stretch yourself to play a little better, or with jujitsu right now, if I don't try a new move and then get caught in a trap, it's like you can stay where you're at, where you're comfortable, but you're not going to grow. Mistakes and imperfection is the only place that allows for growth. And there's too many people and too many churches are like. I need perfection. Fine. You're not going to grow. It's like coaching 101. Right? If you're so freaked out that your kid, when they're learning how to walk, is going to fall on their face, and you're so concerned about it that you never allow them to walk and fall, your child will never walk. It's a human inclination. It's a human paradigm, but I'm just concerned in the hyper-professionalization of the church world these days, if we are gravitating towards classical Handel and Mozart, and we forgot about Miles Davis, and we forgot about Keith Jarrett, and we forgot about Peter walking out of a boat and falling flat on his face and drowning. It's danger. It's a dangerous place. And I want to encourage you with this. There is order. And the leadership of this church will make sure that things are taught properly, that prophetic words are delivered properly, and if it needs to be a correction, we will correct. But we cannot allow all that fear to inhibit people from expressing their giftings in the Lord. Because then we just, you know, sorry for those that are watching, then we just have a Catholic church. Right? All right. What about the leadership? There's, there's a pressure from leaders in any fashion to do this. The image of perfection may be a goal for some. Ugh, that stinks. But some people, they have this sensitivity that everything has to be, you know, in a certain way and look really good to the community and everything. Everything's got to... Look, the image of perfection, what happens is perfection, the only way for perfection to happen is you need control. That's the only way perfection happens, is there is an element of control. And control, clearly, scripturally, extinguishes the spirit. There's a difference between order and control. Now, it extinguishes the spirit. It extinguishes the spirit of jazz, which is a place of creativity and innovation and democracy. And more importantly, it extinguishes the spirit of a living God. When man is involved trying to control every facet of life. 
Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons and daughters of God. If you're led by the Spirit of man and the control of man, are you a son and daughter of God? Right? So, let's relate this to Scripture and move away from jazz for a little bit. Peter on the, on the water here, right? I mean, here's a, a cool watercolor, I think. Is that a watercolor or abstract? I don't know. So I like this because it's a little cooler than like typical like clip art kind of stuff. But I like this because you, you see the Lord walking on the water and in the, in the foreground, in the background, you see the boat, but you don't see Peter. And I, li- I like this because here, here's the thing, guys. Without Peter in this story, there's no lesson. Without Peter, there's no story. Oh, look, Jesus did another miracle. He can walk on water. I hope so. He's God. But the lesson of the story only exists because Peter's there. And Peter got out of the boat. What makes this is beautiful. Come on. You need to receive this and release yourself from a spirit of perfection. This is beautiful. Peter right here in this story is imperfect. He steps out on the water, and he's doubting in faith, and he sinks. He makes a mistake. He goofed up. But I want to encourage you with this. is Why don't we actually change the paradigm? And why don't we change the way that we look at this story and ask the question, did Peter actually make a mistake? The dude stepped out in faith on water. I don't think that's a mistake. Now, most people in the church would say, he lacked faith. He made a mistake. Dude, you and I would have been sitting in the boat looking at Peter calling him crazy. Right? He stepped out of the boat. I don't know if that was a mistake. But so many of us are like, oh, he made a mistake. I don't, is, it, is it a mistake? Look at the faith the dude had. It's incredible. I mean, it's like, Peter, I'm glad you did because if you didn't have it, we didn't have the story. He stepped out of the boat, man. It's a, a representation of being imperfectly perfect. He's imperfect, you know, he falls in the water, but he's perfect in his exercising of faith. That's good. What compelled Peter to step out there? Well, he saw what he could be, right? Wow. He saw what he could be. And so he was willing to take the step. Not knowing what would happen, being imperfectly perfect. Let's try it. Because I have faith. I'm not going to control it. I'm going to do it. I think another thing that compels him is that he in fact saw what Jesus called him to be. Right? Peter doesn't just walk out there. Jesus says, come. And he goes. Now, the Lord, Yeshua, Jesus right here says, you have little doubt. Or you have little faith, you have much doubt. Peter doubted. What did he doubt it? You of little faith. Peter. Look, he didn't doubt Jesus. Like, there's Jesus walking on water. Look, he's not doubting Jesus. He's doubting himself. I am doubting what God says about me. I am doubting what God says I can do. I mean, Jesus believes in him, and Jesus says, come walk, walk on water with me, Peter. And he does it, but then he loses faith, not in, what Je- not in Jesus, but he loses faith in what Jesus says about him. And that is his lack of faith in himself, or rather, believing what God says about him. God has called you into higher places, people. God has called you to be evangelists. God has called you to lay hands on the sick. God has called you to prophesy. Well, I don't have the gift of prophecy. Eh. Paul says, I encourage that all of you would go and prophesy. It's a gift to the believer. We're called to higher things, but our fear of not meeting up to perfection keeps us from doing it. Man, good thing Peter didn't do that. And good thing Keith Jarrett didn't do that. So, oh, thanks, man. Um, Peter, the apostle, 
has or had a jazz musician's heart? A step, a leap, an improv, an experiment. He did not control the situation, but he had a faith of what could be and should be and what it would look like. And so what if Peter didn't step out of the boat? If he didn't step out of the boat, what if he remained in the boat with everyone else? What if he remained in the boat of control with everyone else? I can't do that. I'm going to fall. Control. What if he remained there? Well, if he remained there, would he have been the disciple where Jesus says, on this rock I shall build my Would he be able to be the apostle that spoke at Pentecost and thousands are saved and outpoured with the Holy Ghost? See, what happened here is the heart of jazz, the heart of experimentation, the heart of not having control was a training ground for Peter to be able to walk in greater levels of authority. You want authority? Go experiment with God. But I can't. Dude, get up front with these little masks on and we're going to pray that you are delivered from perfection. You know? We're going to do that. So, paradigms of perfection. Let's just, let's just kind of get into this a little bit, right? Uh, too many in the church are paralyzed in their faith and at church due to a spirit of perfection and control. That is something that you, if you have a performance Spirit, I'm telling you, like 99% of Americans have a performance spirit. Okay? Like, perform, perform. Our whole society is built off of performance. Like, look at Hollywood, look at the Facebook, look at how our economic structures are formed. Like, you acquire perfection. And perfection and the pursuit of perfection is, is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, do all things as if you were doing unto the Lord, right? I mean, perfection is, can be a beautiful thing if you're not operating in a spirit of perfection, right? There's a difference between, hey, it'd be cool to get that right. Versus walking in a spirit of perfection. Next. Uh, too many leaders, I believe, are motiv by, motivated by an image of perfection which keeps churches ineffectual and in a place of immaturity. Okay? What's going to happen here is if we're bound by a spirit of perfection as leaders and you are bound by a spirit of perfection as the congregant, we are not going to grow. We're going to keep you uh, drinking the milk of the word. We're going to keep you from being empowered. We're going to keep you from going out in the Great Commission. We're going to keep you from laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed. It's not going to happen. Because the disciples, quote-unquote, failed a couple times, right? They go out, they pray, the, the demons don't leave. Jesus then says, well, that you have to fast for. Like, it was a learning experiment, right? You need to go out and, be a, and, and release yourself to be imperfect or not seeing the goal. But you also have to reevaluate what the goal is. Is the goal to be perfect or is the goal to step out in faith? I mean, if you know you're going to be perfect in your thing in church, where is the faith in that? Like, if you know that the chord progression is, you know, CDG, and that's all you're going to do, and there's no, like, stepping out, right? I mean, if I'm like, I'm going to come up with my little bullet points that are on my notes, and I'm just going to read from that and not allow the Spirit to breathe life on it and just do what's there, there's no faith in that. There's no growth in that, right? So the Lord wants us to embrace this notion that it's okay to make a mistake and it's okay to be imperfect. Because it is not the goal to become perfect because you have already been made perfect in Jesus. So the goal has been met. In the spirit, you're allowed to make some mistakes. But you also have to be open to for correction and for teaching. Amen. Next. Uh, to embrace imperfection is to combat the spirit of fear uh, and of inadequacy, right? If you can come to a place that says, hey, the piano is broken. There's nothing I can do about it. I mean, it's broken in Köln, Germany, but we're going we're gonna to do it. It's a mess, but we're going to watch it soar. Combats the spirit of fear, the spirit of inanity. There you go, Maria. Um, and, and it comes to a revelation is you are imperfectly perfect through the cross of the Son. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever. Let's not just move away from this. 
Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Those who are being sanctified, he's already made us perfect in his, in his eyes. Beautiful. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Just give me some context for this, this notion. For he had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Bro, if, 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 if the atoning blood of Jesus has sent you to a place of being perfected, although you're continually being sanctified, but you're already made perfect, and you're called the righteousness of God because of Jesus, I think that's pretty dang close to being in the right spot to allow yourself to make mistakes. Right? So... Bristol Hope Assembly is a place where we can make mistakes, right? But there is, you know, a notion of if the mistake is really theologically off or interpersonally off, you know, we will lovingly guide you and coach you into the right way. Look, let's just be honest. I make mistakes. Like, maybe it was a mistake not to have masks when you're praying for people. Maybe it's a mistake to now have masks for people. Which one is right? Which one is the mistake and which one is the right? I don't know. But I make mistakes. But we learn from it and we grow in it and we walk it out and we learn from it. I think, I think it was last week I said C-R-A-P from the pulpit. That was a mistake. Three weeks ago, I said H-E-double-L hockey sticks, or right? <laughs> On accident, because I got caught up in the moment. Okay? But I'm just telling you right now. I'd rather make those mistakes and not trade jazz for a spirit of perfection and control. If you want, I could be all polished, and I can go over my words and have it bullet-pointed and highlighted and read it from a teleprompt and have it eloquent and spoken really well. I'd rather take little mistakes and have life and the spirit on it than having to be controlled and perfect and being all concerned about what may slip out of my mouth. So the Lord is building a, a unique place here, guys. The Lord is building a unique place here, right? And Keith Jarrett, he embraced the mess and it soared. Look, Bristol Hope Assembly from the outside is not the ideal place, okay? Yeah. It's not the ideal place. Um, and what I mean by like, it's not the ideal place, it's this. Uh, we have bivocational ministers, right? Everyone that's on the ministry team is out, um, out working another job that puts some taxing things on things. We don't have as much time to get things done that I'm sure many of you would like to get done. Um, the building itself, we, got root, we, had a, we had a roof problem, then it went to a carpet problem, then it had to a flooring problem, then it went to a technology problem, then it went to a sound equipment problem. Not the ideal situation for a church. Um, it's not the most ideal geography. It's tucked away off of Route, uh, route 13, which is like a whole other world. Uh, it's a tough town. I'm telling you, from all, all of the Barna research, this is not the place to create a church. It is not, okay? Uh, but, like I said, we're not gonna trade in this kind of jazz experience for a computer mechanical orchestration. There's not. Um, and Mary, if you can come on down, please. Just, may, may I just speak a little bit more about the history of jazz, is that okay? And related? Is that okay? I knew a little bit about this from my history classes, but Zeke put a little bit more uh, power into it by sending me some links. This is crazy. <clears throat> in the 1950s and in the 1960s, the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA of the United States of America, funneled taxpayer money to pay jazz artists to go out into the world and play jazz. The CIA, like spies, would give money to the biggest jazz artists and be like, Dave Brubeck, 
go out. Bill Evans, go out. Miles Davis, we have an assignment for you. And give them a salary to go out and perform concerts in these unique places. They wanted to send out these, these musicians out to the world. And for example, uh, I believe the link that I saw, or Zeke was telling me, Dave Brubeck was like that really like, kind of cool West Coast California jazz, right? The beep-boppy kind of thing. Uh, they sent him to Turkey. Now this is 1950s, 1960s world. Turkey is first doorway out of the Soviet Union. First doorway out of the Cold War experience. And they're sending Brubeck there to play because that's as close as you can get to the Soviet Union. We're like right over the fence, right? Of, 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 of not the Berlin Wall because it's not, but you're like the fence of communism. And he's there to play jazz. Because what was the goal by the CIA? This is legitimate. The goal was for them to release the quintessential American sound. Wow. A sound of jazz. A sound of freedom, a sound of a free-form art expression, innovation, and improv. It's, it's, it's a sound that goes out that would actually, think about how spiritual this is from the CIA, to break the back of order and coldness and authority and tyranny. We're not sending in the Marines. We're sending in Brubeck to go play some free-form music to break the spirit of communism. How spiritual is that? The CIA was pretty spiritual back then. The results of this was that actually people were drawn to the sound. It's like you heard this sound that was actually created from, from slaves who, who were crying out for freedom that produced a freedom sound of jazz. And I'm telling you this, people are drawn to the sound that is resonating here at Bristol Hope Assembly. It's a sound of freedom. It's a sound of relying upon the Holy Spirit. It's a sound that says we're not going to control things, but we're going to allow people to experiment and to grow, and we will teach you. We're not going to reprimand you. We want to see you grow into apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We need to allow you to be imperfectly perfect. I just want to cast a little bit more vision here, besides just making a mistake. There's a sound that's going out, and, and people are being attracted to it. At Bristol Hope Assembly, we have a desire to create a family-oriented church. Whether you have a biological family or not, we want to make sure that there's a spirit and a value system of family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so no matter how large we get or how small we may be, we want to make sure that all of us are residing within a value system of family. Which means that you have to reach out to people. Which means you have to talk to people. Which means you have to rely on, on, on one another. And some newer people that have come and said that's been one of the biggest things that drew them in. It was like, man, as soon as you walk in the doors, you feel like this is a family. And so here, our job is to equip and create a family atmosphere and to impact our local communities of Bucks County and the surrounding area. But what's so beautiful here is that we also have Philadelphia Tabernacle of David, which is run by Jamie Fitt, who's been coming here for a, 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 over a year now. He's out on a crazy trip right now, and that's why he's not here. But he has a mission from the Lord to release a sound of freedom and Holy Ghost fire of expression of worship in the Philadelphia area. So you got Bristol, Bucks County, boom, Philadelphia. This is the way that church is intended to operate. Coming out of a place of family and local community and going out. We have Jose and Dana Diaz and Zeke and Elizabeth who are representing a reach of global influence. Going out to the nations and teaching and equipping we have Power to Tread Ministries, which is, which is um, Holly and Clayton, which I'm very excited. I think it's what, uh, the 24th of July? 24th of July. We were trying to do this before, right during Corona, but starting July 24th, at least one Friday a month, we're going to see how it goes. 
we're going to have just old school, like tent revival, prayer and healing and deliverance. They lead a ministry that works away. And there's testimonies of people getting out of wheelchairs. Blind eyes literally opening. Because the Spirit of God falls. And Clayton, I hope you're okay with this, which I think you are. But, you know, many of you see a guy walking with a gigantic beard, with a whole bunch of tats, construction boots on, and, and, and a cut-off jean jacket. You're like, what is the deal with this dude? The dude is walking in freedom. And because he walks in freedom, there's a release of the power of the Holy Ghost. Does it mean someone wearing a suit can't have the same release? It's just that there is a freedom that is on that family that is releasing a spirit of jazz in this town. Come on, man. This awesome stuff is going on. And so if you haven't picked this up yet, jazz music today is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. There is an order, but man cannot control him. Man can't control Holy Spirit. There is an order, but man cannot control him. Look, if you control jazz, it is no longer jazz. It is the Backstreet Boys. If you control the spirit, it is no longer the spirit. It is man. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force you. He's not going to control you to comply with him. He is a gentleman. He'll open the door for you, but you need to walk through. We as a church, we need to be like Peter. We need to say, I'm going to get out of the boat. I need to get out of the boat of my life. I need to get out of the boat of perfection. I need to get out of the boat of comfort. And I need to get out of the boat of control. But we also, of course, need to be like Jesus. And what happened to Jesus when he's baptized in the River Jordan? The dove descended. Right? The dove descended. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And he walked out in miracles and anointing. But what's key about Jesus is that the Holy Spirit came upon him and filled inside of him. But he never ever knocked the Holy Spirit. He never knocked the dove off his shoulder. And we need to learn from this. Many of us receive the Holy Spirit, but he's a gentleman. If you decide to use control... You just flip them off. Like, flick them like, I mean like this. I, I don't want to get caught in that. I'm, I literally mean flicking with your finger, okay? You flick them off your shoulder. Okay? Make that clear. Like this. If you're walking in bitterness, and if you're walking in envy, and if you're walking in gossip, you off, dove has decided to leave. So we need to make sure we do that. Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I think it's just coming to me now. If you take a look at the times when you are bitter and you have wrath and you have anger and whatever clamor is, I don't know. But if you have all of those things and evil speaking and malice and hate, what is really operating? You are probably operating out of a spirit of control. They said this about me and I don't like that. So I'm going to get angry. It's control. Trying to control what people think and say about you. You are controlling the situation. Just let go and walk the spirit of jazz. Why don't we stand? We have to learn again in the church that we need to relinquish control. For we are made imperfectly perfect in Him. We're allowed to make mistakes. In fact, I think the Lord wants us to make mistakes because a place of mistakes is a place of faith. And a place of mistakes is a place of growth. So I encourage you with this. Let us learn from a concert in 1975 in Germany. 
Let us learn from a Jewish fisherman who stepped out of a boat and walked on the water in the Galilee. Let us get out of the boat and embrace imperfection. But I encourage you with this. As you embrace imperfection, you need to know this. You really are not imperfect. You actually are imperfectly perfect in your Father's eyes because of the blood of Jesus. And we need to receive that again in the church. We need to receive that identity. We need to receive that revelation. Father, right now, I pray that there would be a release, that people would not be frozen in a lake of fear, that they would not be frozen in fear and paralyzed in fear to go out and to walk out the gospel. And to walk out in teaching. And to walk out in evangelism. And to walk out and laying their hands on the sick, oh Lord. Father, I pray that there would be a spirit of grace here. Even, even for the ministers and even for the leaders. That, that there would be a spirit of grace that within reason that we can, that we can grow. And through grow we can make some mistakes. Guys, I have never been a pastor before outside of three years ago. And I've never been a pastor during a pandemic. I've never been a pastor of a church in person and then also in a church virtual. And I've never been a pastor of a church of members and also visitors. It's like, this is new. It's new. And it's cool. Because like Keith Jarrett, we can play those tunes. And out of an unusual circumstance, we can see the Lord soar and His power of His gospel to go forth. So I just pray that, a release in the Spirit.